0: Thank you for listening to CLE Rocks, the music podcast from the birthplace of rock and roll. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on your podcast platform, and more importantly, click five stars to help us spread the word. I'm Troy L. Smith with Cleveland.com. Now, on with the show. Okay, Cleveland, from Toronto, Canada, let's have a warm welcome
1: for Mercury recording artist, Rush!
0: That was the opening of Rush's August 26, 1974 show at Cleveland's Agora, the band's first American broadcast. The concert, put on by radio station WMMS, was the culmination of the Canadian prog rock band's breakthrough in the United States. This is the story of how a Cleveland radio station, its music director, and the relatable sounds of Rush's modest debut album set the band off on a path to conquer the world. Hello, Cleveland. Yes, Pink Floyd, King Crimson, Genesis. There are several essential prog rock bands but there was only one Rush. Rush's status as the quintessential progressive rock band was all but confirmed in a 2011 Rolling Stone poll, where music fans voted Rush the genre's greatest band of all time. Music historian and author Pete Chikarian says Rush's appeal lies in the band's commitment to excellence and providing something outsiders could latch onto.
2: I think people recognize the the misfit in themselves with them, and as the band continued to grow and explore, they kind of embrace their own misfitness too. you know they're showing s c t v clips you know between songs on the grace under pressure tour, and if you've ever seen any of the videos for you know any of their last several tours, they try and embrace this sort of Sketch comedy, comedic nerdiness—they they know that the people that are listening to them are wired like them as well, and that you know that's what makes that connection so special. You know, there's a—it's a mutual admiration society, and I think at the same time, you know, the band also was so meticulous and so—I I don't want to say perfectionist—they were as much um, tacticians as they were strategists. They never seemed to. Want to give the audience anything but a hundred percent all the time? Um, master craftsman, and even even Neil, as a drummer, his drum solos were like incredibly calculated and thought out, and he wasn't he wasn't freewheeling those. Uh, they were they were all a hundred percent scripted out and planned, and he was very much committed to those. So, I think that. When you put all of those, just those things together, it really does explain why all all of us misfits really connected with them and they connected with us.
0: Rush would get off to a slow start as a band. Formed in the Willowdale neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada in 1968, the group would round out its lineup a year later with founding members guitarist Alex Lifeson and drummer John Rutsey, along with bassist lead singer Geddy Lee. An early demo tape was rejected by record label after record label in the early 1970s, leading Rush and its management company, run by Ray Daniels, to form their own label, Moon Records, in 1973. The band's first single was a cover of Buddy Holly's Not Fade Away.
1: Well, I'm gonna show you how it's gonna be Y'all gonna give you love to me
3: Give me
0: Rush would release its self-titled debut album in March 1974. The album was driven by a raw, hard rock sound comparable to acts like Led Zeppelin and Cream. Rush was still finding its way, remembered Geddy Lee. For years, we were very ambitious in our early days, and we
3: tried desperately to be something other than what we were. And I think now we've kind of come full circle where we're more relaxed about accepting what we are. Even though we still try to add influences and and evolve, we're less about running away from ourselves, I think. And I think that's a big
0: internal change. Still, Rush's debut album had its appeal, remembers Chikarian, at a time when that brand of edgy hard rock was all the rage. That album is
2: so... I mean, it wears its heart on its sleeve completely. I mean, you know, the fact that, you know, Getty was really into cream and, you know, obviously Alex, too, um, and the Yardbirds, I mean, you could really feel that sort of kind of gritty, edgy dynamic there. You know, they were, you know, three or four chords in a cloud of dust, and that was amazing. But you could tell that there was some, you know, virtuosity that was kind of bubbling up from underneath the surface. <laughs>
0: Despite positive early reviews, and the album proving popular with the band's small Canadian fanbase, Rush's debut earned a limited release. But for a thriving radio station located in Cleveland, Rush's debut album would prove to be a big deal. The Thundering Buzzer WMMS Cleveland By 1974, Cleveland radio station WMMS had already proven itself an influential force in the industry. The station had helped champion the early careers of artists like the MC5, New York Dolls, and King Crimson. Under the leadership of John Gorman, WMMS would break ratings records and become a platform for emerging rock and roll artists to break through.
1: And there's one time in New York, I'm talking to a record executive, and he's telling me, he says, God, we wish you we had... in." In New York, what you have in Cleveland, and I'm listening to him saying, "This guy's bullshitting me." I mean, this is the this is just jive. But but actually, what he was saying to me was that Cleveland had not only did Cleveland have the infrastructure with with WMS with uh, you know and and the uh, record stores, but we also had all of the right uh, venues because you could start a band at the Agora or a Smiling Dog, then they'd come back and probably play. Uh, Music Hall or the Allen Theater, and from there it was Public Hall, then from there was the Coliseum, then it was, you know, maybe the World Series of Rock or Blossom. But we did have an
0: infrastructure here that you could develop and break acts, and that was unique to Cleveland. Indeed, WMMS's claim to fame up until that point was one of its top personalities, Billy Bass, becoming one of the first disc jockeys in America to play David Bowie, setting the stage for Ziggy Stardust's first U.S. show at Cleveland's Music Hall in 1972.
3: We were in a position where we had to find something new to play, something new that our audience that we loved, that we didn't want to disappoint, something that they would appreciate. And my friend Denny Sanders introduced the album Hunky Dory to me. And I heard the record, and I said, this is it. This is going to take us to the next level. we got to get on this right away. This is the best album out, no matter what. They said, but nobody knows it. We're going to get killed playing that record. I said, no, we're not. People are going to really like this record. Also
0: in 1972... WMMS debuted its Coffee Break Concert Series, a popular live showcase for national emerging acts. It was Bass who came up with the idea after Elektra Records offered him a live performance by singer-songwriter Carol Hall, who had just released her first album, Beads and Feathers. Two years later, WMMS would set off on a path to helping break another emerging act, thanks to an ambitious new music director. Following the lead of Massachusetts native John Gorman, WMMS would pull much of the talent that would bring the radio station to prominence from the Boston area. One such staff member was music director Donna Halper, a graduate of Northeastern University with an ear for breaking bands.
3: I still was there, and I don't want to do, oh, it was great in the good old, no, it wasn't, okay? Uh, Women were not given equal pay. Minorities were not welcome at many, many radio stations. It was not a golden age, okay? Let's not over-dramatize and turn it into something it wasn't. But on the other hand, there was still a lot of freedom. There was still the opportunity to not just break bands, but to champion bands. You could get behind a group or an artist and be there to see their career take off.
0: Helper brought with her a slew of industry contacts from New England and parts of Canada. In 1974, Helper received a copy of Rush's debut album from Bob Roper at a and Records. The label had passed on Rush as a signee, but wanted to help out the band's management. Helper immediately took to the album.
3: The band originally kind of conceived of itself as sort of like a bar band, you know, because that's what there was. But they knew right from Jump Street that wasn't where they wanted to stay. When Bob Roper of A&M of Canada sent me a copy of that record, and I played it in the spring of 1974, I knew immediately that these guys had potential and that they were more than like a three-chord bar band.
0: Moon Records was pushing the song in the mood as the album's priority track, However, Halper saw something special in the record's closing number titled Working Man.
3: In Cleveland, people really did get up at seven, yeah, and go to work at nine, got no time for, living. Yes, time. Really seven, yeah, no time for a living, yes, I'm working all the time. But the moment I heard those lyrics... I said to myself, Cleveland's a rock and roll town and it's a working man's town and working women too, but a working man's town and they're going to resonate with this song. It's simple, it's direct and it speaks to the experience of a lot of my listeners. And you know, as a music director, my job was to seek out songs that would resonate. It was about never having time to live your life always being on the clock, being so exhausted when you got home that you just didn't feel like doing much of anything. And yet feeling like it seems to me I should live my life much better than I think I am. You know, it's like the singer knows I could have a better life, but I never get time because I'm just like working in this factory day and night. And so that's why I thought, hmm, Cleveland record. And as it turns out, hmm, Cleveland record.
0: Initial reaction to Working Man from WMMS listeners was tremendous, with many thinking the station had debuted a new Led Zeppelin track, which Chakarian says wasn't exactly a bad thing.
2: People were really hungry for Zeppelin, you know, in 74, and so having a band that came out and kind of kicked the door in like Rush did, they were going to be appealing too, especially in a town like Cleveland, you know, which at the time was, and still is to some degree, work hard, play hard uh, mentality. You know that sort of hard rockin' vibe is is
0: gonna win over every time. Rush's debut album would become a hot commodity in Cleveland, selling more copies at record stores in Northeast Ohio than it did in Canada. Rush's label shipped more copies to Cleveland, where it would become the city's fastest selling import. Run in the- The next step for Rush was to conquer North America. Ray Daniels signed the band to an American booking agency, ATI. That company's executive, Ira Blacker, sent a copy of Rush's debut to Mercury Records, where it caught the attention of A&R Cliff Bernstein. Bernstein immediately reached out to Helper, who had established a tight relationship with the band and its management.
3: So record companies start calling me, because I get good relationships with their national promotion people. And some of them are like, This band you're talking about, who's their management? Are they they signed? I recommended them to Mercury. I did. Now, I was not the only person that did that, okay? I would be lying to you if I, oh, yeah, me personally. No, I was one of. And the reason I did was because I knew their national promotion guy, Cliff Bernstein. Cliff was one of the gentlemen of the industry. And he told me straight up, he said, Donna, if you encourage them to sign with us, we've got Bachman Turner Overdrive, we will make them a priority. We're a small label, but we will make them a priority. They can sign with a bigger label, they'll get lost. They'll be one of 70 other bands doing the same thing. That won't be the case with us.
0: Rush's deal with Mercury Records would set the band up for its first American tour, which included a stop in Cleveland in August 1974. The band's show at the Cleveland Agora would be broadcast live on WMMS's airwaves as part of the Coffee Break Concert Series. What we
1: knew that we were going to broadcast the concert live. You know, the one thing we realized too is not only would we have a captive audience with all the Rush fans, but what about the people that don't like Rush? Do we lose them for an hour? And you know what we saw is that people that even didn't know the band or like the band, they would listen to these concerts, and then for the rest of the country. They would look at MMS and say, well, if they, if they invested on playing Rush for a, few, for a whole hour, you know, a, a, new, a new band playing music for a, for a whole hour, there must be something to that band. How you doing, Cleveland? Oh, it's excellent to be
3: back here. We're going to do it soon for you, called The Best I Can.
0: Russia's Agora show was a pivotal moment for WMMS, proving the station could push a new act on the airwaves and have it translate into success for the band on the road. It would set the stage for future acts like Bruce Springsteen, Roxy Music, Fleetwood Mac, and U2 to accomplish the same, remembers Gorman.
1: You know, we had a national reputation, and having that reputation then caused the record labels to look at Cleveland. And, and, you know, every week we we started getting calls. Hey, you know, we have this band called U2. Uh, you know, would you want to do a live broadcast? And that's, and, that's, and that's what happened. I mean, the same thing with Springsteen, the same thing with, with all of these acts. The, the biggest thing is it made WMS important for the rest of the country. The
0: 1974 Coffee Break concert was also a pivotal moment for the members of Rush.
1: When
3: the guys in Rush first came to Cleveland and they found that, like, people knew their songs, they were like, we can't get on the air in Toronto. No one, <laughs> one will play us you guys are and people are clapping and shouting and like it was just um this is gonna sound sappy but it was heartwarming it really made me feel good it warmed my heart to see these three guys from toronto get some attention i loved it thank you everybody all right yeah.
1: I like doing a number called what you're doing
0: Rush was a different band when it came to Cleveland in 1974. Suffering from type 1 diabetes and having a differing opinion from Alex Lifeson and Geddy Lee on Rush's direction, drummer John Rutsey left the band in July 1974. Rush would tap Neil Peart as its new full-time drummer, playing its first set with the new trio in August
3: 1974. Geddy and Alex, whether John Rutsey had been ill or not, they had a vision for the band that I think was not what Rutsy could do. And I'm not saying that unkindly. If you listen to that first album, yeah, it's very foundational, it's very primitive, but it got them started. And it led to where they went after that. But the guys knew that lyric writing wasn't their strong suit. They needed more than just a drummer who could drum. You know, They needed someone who could write lyrics. And that's, in the end, what led them to Neil.
0: Pert would become Rush's primary lyricist and the driving force behind Rush's follow-up album, 1975's Fly By Night. The album showcased the complex themes and compositions that would shape Rush's progressive sound moving forward. the case with many acts WMMS helped break, Rush would return to Cleveland multiple times in the 1970s, working its way up to the Public Auditorium and Allen Theater, before finally bringing its Hemispheres tour to Richfield Coliseum in 1979. Rush would play more than 40 concerts in Northeast Ohio throughout its career including an April 15th 2011 show recorded and filmed and released as The Time Machine 2011 Live in Cleveland.
2: I was in the 8th row for that show and they're doing, you know, the Time Machine tour and they're filming the DVD with Banger Productions and they're playing Moving Pictures, you know, seminal album for me and so many others, playing that in its entirety. I think that's when it really landed for me. Like, wow, how lucky am I to live at this moment in time.
0: Rush played its last large-scale tour in 2016. Neil Peart passed away in 2020. Geddy Lee confirmed Rush would not go on without Peart. Rush as a band has sold more than 40 million records worldwide, including 17 platinum albums in Canada. The band has been inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame, as well as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Halpert, now a Boston-based historian and radio consultant, has maintained a close relationship with the members of Rush over the years. The band thanked both her and WMMS in the liner notes for the American release of its debut album.
3: We'd like to do this last number for Miss Donna Halper of Radio WMMS, right here in Cleveland. Excellent station you got here. I would be lying to you if I said, oh yeah, I know that like Rush is going to be like instantaneously famous and worldwide. I didn't know that. Okay. I knew that they were a Cleveland band. I mean, not that they were from Cleveland, but I mean, I knew they were a perfect band for Cleveland. I knew that they would be popular in Cleveland. I knew that a lot of people would like them. What I didn't know was that you and I would be talking, oh my God, like close to 50 years later, and there would still be people all over the world whose lives were changed by Rush. And whether Rush are your favorite band or not, there are millions of people to this day who can tell you that Rush did change their lives. And to have been a part of that is a great privilege for me, and it's one I do not take lightly.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of CLE Rocks. Special thanks to Donna Helpert, John Gorman, and Peach Carrion for their contributions. For more, visit our pages on Spotify, Apple, and all major podcasting platforms. And don't forget to click five stars. I'm Troy o. Smith with Cleveland.com. Until next time. Are you ready to get your world rocked? Ready! Yes. Are you ready to get your mind blown? Do it! You want to get some Neil Pert all up in you? I don't know. Well, prepare to be
1: rushified!